Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. But before we go into that, and I get to say something, this is a time for you to talk to each other about freedom. So here is your question today as you go into your conversation groups. Where in your life do you experience freedom and or, so you answer what you want to answer, this is a continuum question, where in your life do you experience a lack of freedom? Liberty, go run, go run, Liberty, go run, go run, Liberty, go run, 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 run like the wind. And she's back, she's back. When she is able to be free of her harness, she just gets out there and goes. And sometimes it's scary because she'll go so fast and so far. And one time she knocked me over and I'm like, whoa, she's like a tackler or whatever they're called on the football team. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they are, fullbacks, halfbacks, running backs, I, I don't know. So the idea of freedom grabbed me when I was in junior high school. I was working retail at Christmas in a friend's mom's store at the Glendale Galleria. And there was this little plaque, that, a ceramic plaque that said, free to me, be me. And I was like, oh, I like that. I want to be me. Free to be me. What does that mean? And I bought that plaque. And I had it on my wall probably through until college because I clearly there was something in me that didn't feel free. And it spoke to something in my heart that was an aspiration. And I think there's a basic human longing that in all of us to be free, whatever that means. When I went to uh, evangelical church camp for the first time, having come out of a Catholic background where they didn't talk about being born again or a personal relationship with Jesus, I was introduced to this concept of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know the drill, right? You just come and accept Jesus into your heart. And I'm like, why into our heart? Doesn't Jesus live in other parts of us? But okay. Um, and But I did experience that week some sense of freedom. Something happened in me that week that represented what I had longed for my whole life. And I think it had a lot to do with freedom from stress, freedom from anxiety and worry and freedom from this sense of, am I good enough? You know, what are people going to think of me? It was this atmosphere where everyone was like loving on each other and kumbaya. And, you know, you, many of you come out of that similar background, right? You, you had those moments. And that's part of why you're at New Abbey. So as we talk about freedom today, I want to talk about theoretical freedom versus actual practical freedom. Because theoretically, we're free in Christ, whatever that means. But personally, for the next however many, I guess basically the rest of my life, I've been struggling to be free all the time. I don't feel free a lot of the time. I feel bound up. I feel captured. I feel like there are chains holding me down. And those chains have changed over the years. But there are times I don't feel free. I 
feel constrained. And I'm sure you can identify it. It's, there's a, a continuum of freedom that we exist on. And if we look at freedom in terms of the bigger picture of like Independence Day um, and this country's history, theoretically, we are the land of the free, <laughs> the home of the brave. Practically, actually, for most of the history of Europeans being in this country, most of the rest of us were not free. The women weren't free. Anyone that wasn't white man wasn't free. And in fact, it wasn't until 1870 that black men got the vote. That didn't mean they actually were allowed to vote, but at least they theoretically had the vote, correct? It wasn't until 100 years ago that half of the people in this room, women, had the right to vote, that we're even considered worthy of offering our opinion on something. So theoretically, we were the land of the free, but practically, actually, a lot of us were not free and still aren't free. In 1965, this was continued to be an issue. They had to actually enact a whole Voters' right Act, Rights Act to try to uh, fix the systems and make sure that voters actually got to vote to address voter suppression. And we're still dealing with that today. So theoretically and practically, we have to think about this as not just a one-size-fits-all one thing, that the living out of freedom entails a lot of responsibility. And freedom is largely based on privilege. The more privilege you have, the more free you are. That's part of our country's story. The people who had wealth, the people who had white skin, the people who were males, the people who had education, the people who had social connections. You know, these are the people that have larger degrees of freedom in general than other people. And so freedom is a product to a significant degree of privilege. All those different kinds of privileges, and we could make a long list of them, but um, that's not what we're here for, but to talk about it, how it relates to freedom. And in terms of privilege, the biggest and most important privilege to experience true freedom has to do with our hearts and our minds, and emotional and mental well-being. Because we all have heard the stories of Nelson Mandela or other people who've been imprisoned, enslaved, beaten, abused, who somehow in the midst of all of that trauma somehow maintained their interior freedom. And he spoke of that, that he wasn't going to come out of prison and be still held a prisoner. So he was able to let go and forgive. The biggest privilege we can have, really, to enjoy the rest of our privileges is an emotional, mental, interior wellness that enables us to navigate and deal with all the other privileges we have in a, well, in a, in a way that is healthy and good. Because we all know the stories of those rich kids with the trust funds and what great lives they're living, living their best life, snorting coke, going out on yachts. <laughs> having multiple rehab experiences. Oh yeah, freedom, baby, bring it on. So you know, it's, it's like clear, we all know that. That it's not a product of just having those markers, but it's how am I structured? What is my interior life like that enables me to deal with the abundance, but also the stress? 
the stress of life, that it is really stressful. There's hard stuff we have to deal with. We have intense feelings. And so mental, emotional, spiritual health is really the key to living in freedom. Well, throughout history, from since time began, people have struggled with this issue. And so in every tribe, culture, family, nation, we're always setting up rules. People are killing each other. Make that, a, make that out of, uh, that's illegal. Don't kill each other. Okay, we make a law for something. We set up rules. Within our tradition, the Abrahamic tradition of the Old Testament, that was what we see in Israel's history. We have the Law of Moses, the Commandments, the Book of Leviticus. So this detailed book of, I don't know, 662 or, I don't know, all these little things about you can't eat shellfish, you have to eat, you can't eat milk with that, you have to wear this clothes, no threads, I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy details about what's acceptable. And it didn't work. People were still assholes. <laughs> and people still stole things, even though it said, do not steal. And people still murdered each other. And people raped. And some of the kings and queens and the people that were like supposed to be the models of virtue were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So if you read your Bible, you see that all the rules and regulations of the Mosaic tradition didn't really regulate people's behaviors very well. The problem is what is needed in order to be responsible, mature people who live into our freedom well is a change of our hearts, an interior transformation that enables us to stand and look at our brother, our enemy, and call, see our brother, like the song said this morning. And a lot of what we see in, the, in Jesus is pretty much bringing this story to say it's not about the rules. So our first passage we're going to look at today is from Mark 2. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? See? David broke the rules, and in need of food, he entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful, but, any, but the priest said to eat, but the, it's not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This passage is a, a lens through which we can look at a lot of the rules of life. That the rules, the law, is not made for us to follow it. It's not the center. We are. And it's made to give us life. If someone is hungry on the Sabbath, they need to eat. Let's feed them. Let's not get caught up in the details of what the law says and the rules. So Jesus came to reinterpret the law and actually expand it and make it even bigger. And we see that as we go through Mark, and you can look at all the, all the Gospels, but if you read Mark specifically, what had already happened in this chapter is the Pharisees were like already questioning Jesus. Well, da-da-da-da, and he would be responding to them. And this goes on throughout the next um, 10 chapters. And then we get to Mark 12, and here's what happens. 
One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. There's no greater command than these. And then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and beside him is no other, and to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbors oneself. This is much more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifice. And I love this last sentence. When Jesus saw he'd answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom. And after that, no one dared ask him any questions. It's like it shut them up because it was like it got back to the point. The point of all of the law was to try and get people to love God and love their neighbors themselves, to live in this love that we all long for, this freedom that when I experienced that at camp, I was like, wow, I want this. I want to live in this all the time. Well, that was a great teaching that Jesus gave, but it was also problematic because when you get into the early church, Jesus gives this corrective and says it's not about following the rules. You see the early church, all craziness breaks forth. So if you read Acts, you see this section where, you know, Peter, one of the apostles, gets this vision from God, and God tells him to go eat the meat sacrificed to idols. And in Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing all of the problems of what this liberated community is experiencing. For Pete's sake, there's a priesthood of all believers. Anyone can get up and talk. How do we do that? So he was trying to give rules and guidance for that. Women are speaking up in the church. Oh, my gosh. Well, they're like, and I can imagine if I were there, I'd be like, yeah, give me that mic. I want to say something. You know, I'd be hogging that mic, and they would probably have to put something on me to tell me to shut up. And I could understand that. Um, but that was going on. There were Gentiles, and they were starting to engage with people that weren't part of the Jewish tradition. And it was like, how do we deal with, if someone invites me over to eat a meal and it's sacrificed to idols, do I eat it or not eat it? And you know that great passage or that great idea that a lot of us uh, heard growing up, the idea about not being a stumbling block to others? Check out 1 Corinthians 8. It's not about wearing a bathing suit with a t-shirt over it. I don't know, where did they get that? I don't get it. But the idea, Paul gives him a principle. You know, he says that, um, you know, if, if you're eating meat, it's going to be a stumbling block to your brother. Then don't eat the meat. Is it really that important? Unfortunately, that wasn't what children needed about our sexual energies. We needed people to actually talk about this interior experience that we have when we see someone who looks attractive and help us understand from an interior place, how do I regulate those energies? Right? What good did it do to wear the, the t-shirt? They could still see everything they wanted to see. There was no, actually it made it more mysterious.
see this in Paul's writings. He's addressing these issues. There's another place um, in 1 Corinthians 10 where they were talking about uh, Christians in this new community engaging in pagan rituals. I mean, it's all very weird, actually. I, I've often read over that. I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. But there's this, this statement there, and it comes again in another part of the book. Um, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted, but not all things build up. So these principles about how do we take responsibility for the freedom we have, you know, to, to do things maybe in our previous communities that were outlawed. And here at New Abbey, we're having booze next week, right? What a perfect example. When I first came to New Abbey, I was like, as a recovering alcoholic, I don't know if I like this. I wonder how many other alcoholics here who are feeling a little uncomfortable with drinking, period, but certainly with excessive drinking. For any of us who've been in recovery, you know how it feels when you go to a party and everyone else is wasted and you're like, uh, yeah, I'll have another glass of bubbly, please. And everybody's going somewhere you can't go. You know, it's not that going there is necessarily wrong. You know, tying one on. I used to like to tie one on, baby. That's why I don't go there anymore. Um, but it's, it's not that that's always bad. But do we think about how it's impacting the people around us? I remember when I first got sober, um, uh, people, uh, some people in my life, did ask me, you know, is it okay? Are you comfortable if we drink? And I appreciated that um, because it was like they were, they were thinking about my life and how it impacted me. So that's an example of what it looks like to think through our choices about our freedoms um, and wonder how is that going to impact my brother or my sister. Ultimately, this freedom we're given, um, Paul talks about it a lot in Galatians. And the whole Galatians book is about circumcision. And the church had this big conversation about whether new Gentile believers had to be circumcised. And basically, the point Paul gets to is no. You know, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But what's important is love and faith working itself out in our lives. And with regard to all of those things that we are experiencing freedom in, the question is, is this making me a healthier person? Are these choices leading me to be the person I aspire to be? Um, is drinking nightly contributing to my overall health and well-being? You know, it's a question we need to ask ourselves about our freedoms and our liberation. Not to impose more rules like Joy was saying about like her schedule, but to ask from this deep interior place, what do I need to be full of life and to be the person I aspire to be, to be a loving force for good in the world? Because a lot of the excesses that we indulge in, whether it's food, drink, sex, and that's a whole nother conversation. I'm not even gonna get to that today, but I'll come back and preach on that another time. Um, by making certain choices on a regular basis, they may not be injuring us in the moment, but small excesses over time break large interior bones that hold us and enable us to be people that can thrive.
And those are the kinds of things we need to ask ourselves when it comes to how we engage in freedoms in Christ. I have some questions, uh, a list of ideas to kind of suggest to you. These are some, instead of giving you the, the fruit of the Spirit, or 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about, it's actually about the spiritual gifts and the food sacrifice to idols and all that. It's not about marriage, and don't read it at your wedding because that's not what it's for. <laughs> Just kidding. But some other questions to ask yourself about your choices. Is it free? Am I making this choice from a place of freedom, or is it forced? I was talking to Josh Cobia, our recovery pastor. Josh, wave back there. If you want to talk... If, if you want to talk recovery, hit Josh up, Josh at New Abbey. We were talking about this topic, and I was asking him his story, and I was sharing mine, and he used the term forced vulnerability. And that really struck me because I think one of the problems, one of the benefits and potential problems of alcohol and drugs is that it takes us to a place, we let our barriers down, and then we share things. But sometimes it's, it's a forced vulnerability that then we can later regret having been so vulnerable, especially if we get sloppy, right? You've had those moments, any of you? Been there, done that? Okay, come on, more of you have had that moment than it. <laughs> we'll all see you at the recovery meeting in a month or two, we're gonna do that. Um, so is it free or is it forced? Is this really coming from a place of freedom? Another question, um, is it spontaneous or compulsive or impulsive? I had an experience back in my days where I was at a bar, I met a man. <laughs> he asked for a ride home so he could stay and have another drink and buy me one, and it didn't go well. I made that choice to go with him, not spontaneously, but from a compulsive place in me that was hoping we'd go, I'd give him a ride home when he said, oh, let's go out here, I want to show you something, the lights over the city. I'm thinking, oh, maybe he has a joint, maybe we're going to smoke up. I get out there, we kiss a little, and the next thing I know, I'm in that situation uh, way too many of my women I've met with over the years as a therapist have been in, a date rape. Now, I fought him off, and I knew from the very moment it was not my choice. And I did some damage, I hope, <laughs> as I fought him off, right? I came away from that because of who I was, clear that that was not my choice. But I've worked with so many women who get into these situations, and I haven't worked with any men, but I imagine men feel it too. This forced vulnerability where we get into these situations we didn't really necessarily want to have sex, but it seemed like the good thing to do, so why not? So is it coming from a spontaneous place or compulsive impulsive? Another question, does it produce peace or does it produce anxiety? Another question, does it feed a sense of ease and well-being or contribute to dis-ease and suck the life out of me? If I were going to go more on this, I would talk about Paul talks about the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, but the mindset on the flesh is death. It means what sucks the life out of you? The flesh is just that part of us that's trying to survive and going in all kinds of directions, trying to make ourselves not feel so anxious inside or to make ourselves do enough that we feel okay about ourselves and people will like us. 
But the question is about that. When we set our minds on the Spirit, it's this interior work. We sang about it this morning. The Holy Spirit, fill us. Let your glory be in me. Let me listen deeply for what is, what is life-giving, not the things that are going to suck the life out of me. Another question, does it leave me feeling greater interior freedom or leave me feeling constricted, tense, and shut down? Another question, does it produce openness of heart or leave me shutting down and more protective? Does it lead to shame and guilt? So freedom is an in, inner work of the Spirit of God as we journey with God and we listen deeply. But ultimately, our freedom is not just about us. The more freedom we have, the greater our responsibility to use that to help others. There's a beautiful song by, um, I don't know who wrote it, but Solomon Burke sings it. And it says that as long as any one of us in is in chains, none of us are free. And our job as people who are following Jesus, who said, love your neighbor as yourself, is to take care of ourselves, create the emotional, mental, interior well-being so that I'm being the, who I'm meant to be. And then I can use my reserves and my, my freedoms, my privileges to help others be free. Whether that's like me as a mental health person, whether it's you activate, being an activist in some way, working in a hospital. There's so many ways to be the best version of ourselves as we show up in our lives so that more people can be free. That's the calling of Christ, and that's what true freedom looks like. If we were going to have time for conversations, I would have you talk about this. We're not going to have time, but the question would have been, uh, the next question is, uh, how can you, yeah, that's another question. That, go ahead. Ah, just another question to ask yourself. You can call me and I'll send you the list. No, it's not that one either. Anyway, it's how, how can I use my response, my freedom to help someone else be more free? That's the question that it really goes down to because we don't just grow in freedom and into maturity for our own sake, but it's so we can be of service to others and help others experience greater freedom. So that would be the invitation I want to invite you to consider this week is how will you use your freedom to help others break the chains that hold them in bondage? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.